What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Numbers Guys NBA podcast. I'm Preston Klaus, your host, and I'm joined by Ian Archer and Kevin Ivers. Today, we're recapping the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. The games just ended. Both of them went to six. We saw some unfortunate injuries in both series, but we ended up with the Suns and the Bucks in this year's finals. This episode, we're just going to go through... Uh, each series and recap all the games and talk about each series and our finals recap will be up very soon after so we're going to start with the west because that series ended long longer ago than the eastern conference which just ended yesterday at the time of this recording so let's give some initial thoughts any of you guys want to start on that western conference series clippers Suns? Uh, I don't know if I should start. (laughs) I know Ian has a lot to say. Uh, Ian and I have been texting about, especially the Western Conference Series, because I picked the Suns to go to the finals back in our earlier podcast. And Ian had picked the Clippers after, I believe, round two. And Ian had some, you know, choice words for the, as he calls them, the zebras, the refs. Um, didn't really think the the Clippers had a, a fair shot in that series. I, I maybe I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but we'll we'll save that for later. Kevin, do you have any thoughts on on this series, or do we want to switch on over? Um, I mean, I have a couple thoughts. Um, like Ian, I think that uh, the Clippers were a little hard done by to lose this series in six. I mean they played the entire series without their best player as most of us expected they would. And they did really well. I was very impressed by Paul George, by Reggie Jackson. Um, Zubac was huge for them while he stayed healthy. They were very unlucky to lose him. And I think that was a big part of what eventually turned the tide for Phoenix. But game two was a game they couldn't lose. And Paul George who had an incredible playoffs missed two free throws that kept it as a one point lead for them. And then Deandre Ayton put down a dunk off an inbound play to win the Suns the game. And that pretty much killed the Clippers because they went behind two nothing and everything was going to have to be uphill from there. So it, Overall, the series kind of always leaned Phoenix, but I think that game is when it really hit the point where L.A. was going to have to pull off something magical to be able to win the series. I I mean, yeah, it it makes sense. I mean, they had seen the 0-2 deficit before. They'd gone down 0-2 in their last two series and still ended up coming back. I mean, this is a little bit different because they don't have Kawhi, but they had seen the deficit before. But I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think game two was a very winnable game for them. And down the stretch, they they actually ended up they, they took the lead with like a minute and then it looked like they were in control. And then Paul George missed the free throws and then that's how they lost the game. And, I mean, Pat Beverly, it's rare that we hear Pat Beverly as the voice of reason. But after the game, he said that we had that one and 
we let it slip away and it was tough. And, you know, I kind of agree with him there. Uh, it's not, it's not very frequent that I agree with Pat Beverly, but on, on that one, they definitely had it won. They had it in the bag. Uh, Monty Williams, great inbounds play. So we'll give him credit there, but, and that was definitely a winnable game for the Clippers, but I'm happy the Suns won. Ian still has to give me Chipotle from last podcast bet. I had to shout that uh, one out. <laughs> but such a tough. There are so many things. Yeah, and thanks for reminding me about Chipotle. You're, you're welcome. That hurts. Uh, public apologies in order because I was less than a kind human being to Preston during that series because um, I was very unhappy with the Clippers. I think you guys met. I have so many thoughts on this one, uh, starting with. I don't understand how anyone can objectively look at the series and not at least feel bad for the Clippers. Um, I, I think I even said on the, when I picked him in six, I said that with Chris Paul, I thought the Suns were a slightly better team. I thought it was 55 45, but I thought the Clippers would win because I thought he missed a couple games and I thought they could win in six. And I think that, prediction played out in game six where they just kind of manhandled them. Although I didn't watch the second half because, um, and thank God, because it would have been too painful, but just to start the series, the first game being a Sunday afternoon game in Phoenix, just 36 hours after the most emotional game in Clippers history, when you have an open slot in Monday where there's going to be no game and you sacrifice it for what should be ratings Although I'm not sure that's even a good argument because the U.S. Open was on simultaneously to the Clippers game, uh, game one against Phoenix with no Chris Paul. So I'm not sure they won the ratings window there. And you have an open game Monday to give the teams more rest and to give the Clippers their first two days off in between a game all year, all series in what feels like two months, the first time they would get two games or two days off between games. Um, you have Monday and you don't do it. So the Suns come out, Booker has his best career game, game one. I don't think anyone's arguing the Clippers should have won that one. Game two is so depressing to me because although I want to say the refs, although I want to say this, so many of the wounds were self-inflicted. Like Kevin mentioned, Paul George missing the two free throws. Um, awful. And then DeMarcus Cousins, like forgetting which side of the inbounds pass to shade and just letting Jay Crowder kind of have a clean look at the rim to throw – um, what was a great ATO by Monty Williams for the uh, Valley Oop, as it's so been properly named, is a tough way to lose. I think they needed to split in Phoenix to have a chance in the series. But the biggest game four, you know, you're down, you're down 2-1 and you need that game to stave off what is three straight elimination games if you want to advance. And Cameron Payne, 80-79, to and again, the Clippers 0 for 12 on shots to go ahead. So it's not like it's all on the refs. But for the Zebras to decide not to review what is literally an identical play to the Devin Booker game when Pat Bev knocked out and they reviewed it in minute, um, in slow motion, and you can see it goes off of Booker's hands. And what's probably a more realistic review because it's a back tap against Payne, for them not to review it and to give Phoenix the ball is almost indefensible. You can't have – if you're trying to have consistency and transparency, you can't do it in one game and not in the other, especially when the limit when there's seasons on the line. And it's worse in game four because the Clippers were down and couldn't buy a basket, whereas in game three, they were at least up and still had a chance, even if they didn't review it, to get a stop 
and to win the game that way. And this one, they literally had no chance. They were going to have to foul if you didn't review it. And to not review it is almost inexplicable. And then fast forward, Chris Paul's in the backcourt. The official, he's being double teamed. The official with his back, with Batum's back blocking his angle, calls a phantom foul on Chris Paul because he just expected it to happen when it should have been a travel, giving the Clippers yet another chance to try and go win that game. And I just think that worst case scenario, they should be playing, or they should have been playing a game seven a couple of days ago. I'm not saying they were the better team. Uh, game six is a pathetic performance for them, but it's just frustrating as someone, and I never thought my, I'd find myself in this situation rooting for the Clippers. It's just frustrating to see a team kind of not have, it's just a huge competitive advantage for the Suns in both the rest department and then the non, um, the inconsistent officiating that I thought kind of frequently went against the Clippers throughout the series. I know it's a bunch of complaining and whining, but as someone who lost Chipotle and who, who really wanted to see the Clippers win this year, I was mystified and upset at the officiating and the way the series went from a league office perspective. So we have a complete 180 from Ian who bashed the Clippers and had an epic rant at the end of the regular season for basically tanking the last two games, getting the four seed and missing out on playing the Suns in the second round just to meet them in the conference finals. And now we have Ian basically hyping up the Clippers and saying, oh, well, it sucks that they lost and he wanted to see him win. And I just wanted to point that out. I thought that yeah. was very funny. We, we see a complete 180, complete flip heel turn moment from Ian Archer on this podcast. Well, Only took a month. Defense, in my defense, I think they became a lot more likable after the Kawhi injury. I'm not like Kawhi's not unlikable, but um, they always – I think most people would put them one or two in the league and well, I guess Brooklyn, but uh, these last two years, they probably had a top three most talented team in the league. Um, and I don't think it's arguable, but when Kawhi goes down and you have all these guys that are kind of maligned in the public sphere, like Paul George getting um, mocked on a daily basis, you have Red King Reggie Jackson, my hero for many of the playoff games who was almost out of the league and credited the Clippers locker room to quote, saving his career. And then you have, you know, Zubach who the Lakers gave away from Mike Muscala. You have Pat Bev who had a horrible year. You have Luke yeah, Kennard, no. who's getting paid 64 million to cheerlead. Um, They'd be more likable without Pat Bev. I love Pat Bev. Pat Bev, no, no. Well, we you draw like the line there. Because he wrecked Russell Westbrook's knee. And now he shoved Chris Paul in the back. He's just a dirty player, and he needs to stop it. I got to be honest. I love the Chris Paul shove. I absolutely loved it. It's weak, but, like, if you're going to go out, take a pound of flesh. Like, I was okay with the shove. He is dirty. I mean, I'm not – no. I don't think anyone's debating that. But um, I liked it. I don't know if – I'm assuming both of you hated it because you were both – or at least Preston, you were a Suns guy, and Kevin, you already hate him. So well, no, not even not even as like this person who wanted their prediction to like pay off. It was six minutes left. The game was basically over. Pat Bev basic like he just shoved him, and it was after a timeout. The it was so unnecessary. 
and Chris Paul hadn't even really said anything to him. It, it just looked so weak. It wasn't even yeah. after, like, Chris Paul got in his face. He just blindly shoved him. Chris Paul didn't even see the shove coming. It's like, like, come on. You don't need to do that. It just makes you look soft. And his apology, I think, was even softer because he was like, oh, it wasn't meant for you. Who was it meant for? Yeah, I, I can I can say this now because obviously we know Chris Paul's fine. He shook it off pretty immediately. Like, no one's hurt. I like the move because it shows Pat Bev for what I've always known he is, a dirty player that when things aren't going his way is going to lash out and try and hurt people. That's what he is. That's what he's done his whole career. And he just showed it on probably one of the biggest stages in basketball. And he was getting so much credit, way too much credit for the whole series for his defense. And I mean, I think it was a great ending to the series to watch him implode on the biggest stage, watch Ty Lue, his coach, tell him what an idiot move that was that he just made and practically push him out of the stadium. I think that's exactly how I want Pat Bev's season to end. And I like the Clippers. I like pretty much every player outside of Pat Bev, but I think that they would be such a likable team if they didn't have him, but he brings them down. And yeah, I, I, it, the move didn't surprise me. I mean, the game was over. Chris Paul was destroying him. No one could touch Chris Paul that game. So I guess his solution was to try and assault him. To be fair to him, he is dirty. I don't think anyone's debating that. I mean, he's just – there are too many plays throughout his career where he injures another star or does something that is out of the frame of the rules. But I also don't – I also think the the part of his personality that enables him to be dirty is the only reason he's in the league. So, to be fair, it's kind of hard to, like, cut it out when it's your – basically the only reason you're in the league. In my I – mean, I, I feel like there's a limit, but – definitely. As a Clippers fan, I liked it as a temporary Clippers a, fan. A temporary Clippers fan. Uh, let's go into some of the stats on the series. So if you just look at how much Phoenix won by, Phoenix won first game by six, second game by one, the fourth game by four, and the last game by 27. So obviously the 27 is a bit of an outlier. The Clippers in their two games that they won – one by 14 and by 14 again. So um, if not for that last blowout game, the Clippers probably outscore them in the series. Credit to the Suns for the blowout though. Um, so just, I, I think it's impressive and you gotta give credit where credit's due. The Clippers played 19 games in playoffs in 39 days. They lost their best player in Kawhi and no one really gave them a fighting chance after being down even 0-2 in the first round, but definitely not after losing Kawhi. Like, they, they just showed a lot of grit and toughness. Ty Lue deserves a ton of credit. And, I, I mean, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a successful season for the Clippers. And not always – not often do you say that from a Western Conference Finals defeat with such a talented team, especially against a team like the Suns, who hasn't made it to the finals since 93, hasn't even made it to the playoffs in 10 years. Um, 
But I think the Clippers needed to just get over the hump of getting even to the Western Conference Finals just for that history to go away and that stat 50 years to just kind of be thrown out the window. And I feel like with Kawhi, assuming he comes back in free agency, this team is just going to be back where they were next year. Like they just, they need to resign their guys. They need to probably give Tyron Lou a 10 year extension. <laughs> and I think they're right back where they were. And the Clippers of 2020, where they were expected to beat the Lakers and you know, down them and win the finals and finally supersede or like surpass the Lakers, at least for that one series, one year. I think it's still possible. It just might be more delayed than we think. Yeah, I mean, and even if you're, even if you're not high on, like Paul George had a great playoff run in terms of his ability to shoulder the load. But if you look at the efficiency, it's still, it's still not great. Other than a couple outlier games, um, particularly both Game Fives on the road in Phoenix and Utah, where he was fantastic. Um, but he's definitely. I don't know if revived is the right word, but he's increased his trade value dramatically from someone that was kind of the butt of a joke for a while there into someone who has proven that he's could be a real contributor and the number one option on a team that, you know, I mean, they beat Utah in two straight games who were the one seed and they, and they put up a pretty solid fight against Phoenix, a team. And in, in my opinion, could have been playing in a game seven where anything can happen in the Valley if things, if things go differently for him. So just from that, and then Reggie Jackson, obviously is going to be, I don't know if they can afford to keep him because of the contract he was on. And there's some limitations from a salary perspective. Preston, if you want to get into those, I don't know if you have them on the top. Yeah, of I, I, I do. Reggie Jackson is an early bird free agent. So basically the Clippers have only had him on their team for two years and they can't exceed a certain amount. So for early bird free agents, you can only go about 105% over the league at league average salary. So it's going to be about $10 million that they can offer him based on those early bird rights, unless they have cap space, which they don't. And I don't know if he takes it. I think he might consider a one year, 10 million, or something similar just to stay with the Clippers. The problem is they don't have that third year, so they can't – they have that restriction of where to sign him. So, yeah. It used to be worse, though. <laughs> well, and then to your point, like that, he was their second-best offensive player. And I think he was the most – maybe it dropped off for five and six. I haven't looked. But at one point in the Phoenix series, he was the most efficient – isolation score in the entire postseason so to lose a guy that because none of the other guys I mean Rondo was getting DNPs playoff Rondo did not even I mean I think he's a, a myth of the past and Pat Bev is not um, your offensive creator despite a couple moves he put on CP3 so to lose Reggie um, who played crunch time all year for him and I think had nine 20 point games in the postseason and he only had seven in the regular season so if they lose him 
um, because the team's just, I mean, he's just worth more than 10 million if you look at the market and and if you believe that the postseason is going to be an indicator of what he can be moving forward, he's still young enough. So for them to lose him would be a massive loss. But just as a whole, I think you hit it on the head with the successful season. Everyone, um, no one, expe- everyone expected them to fold in Dallas. I mean, down 2-0 down 30 to 11 in the first quarter of game three, and they somehow managed to win that game uh, series. Same thing against Utah when Kawhi went down. Um, they expected him to lose probably the next two games or the two in Utah at the very least, and they won both of those, including a, a heroic performance by Terrence Mann en route to overcoming 25 points. And then, you know, Phoenix, who one can make the argument, I don't know if it's a winning one, has been the best team wire to wire in the NBA this season. They took him to six and Maybe if a few breaks go their way, they're playing game seven. And who knows? It might be Bucks Clippers in the finals. So I agree. I mean, if you believe Stephen A. Smith, they don't even need Kawhi Leonard anymore. Terrence Mann's going to come along and replace him. Oh, my God. He did not say that, did he? He did say that. He said that it might be better for the Clippers to let Kawhi walk because they have a young player named Terrence Mann who isn't at this level yet but could reach it. That was an actual line that he said. I mean, that's the on same television. Show, that's the same show that Preston texted me earlier that said they'd rather have Iguodala shooting an open three than Steph Curry. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, it might have been on Stephen A's world, but it is the same group. <laughs> same group. Fair enough. But yeah. So moral of the story is don't listen to them because they're just saying <laughs> stupid things to get people to talk about them. Same but also, them. <laughs> uh, the Clippers. I mean, I think last year was their title window at its best, and they didn't they didn't hit it. they didn't hit it. This year was going to be great for them if they kept Kawhi, but there's a real possibility he doesn't stay. So this could be the new norm for them. And if they're going to then lose Reggie as well, this could have been their best chance. And I I think that's a sad thing to think about because I mean this team fully healthy probably it's a whole different story. And we, we got to see it last year and they underperformed and we got to see it for a little bit of the playoffs this year. And they were taking care of business well enough until they weren't healthy anymore. So if this is the end for the Clippers as currently built, I'm a little disappointed to not see them at least reach a finals, but hopefully Kawhi stays at least. I think anyone predicting where Kawhi is going to go is fooling themselves. He's like the most enigmatic person, <laughs> famous person ever. Yeah. So I credit to the Suns. I, I feel like we've talked about the Clippers enough. Um, Chris Paul, 41, zero turnovers in the elimination game. He shot 67% from the field and seven for eight from three. Just all-around impressive performance, especially by a 36-year-old. So, I mean, in terms of his legacy, it's now up there. Devin Booker, uh, he had a great first round, and then Chris Paul has basically just said, this is my team. I, I don't know if you guys forgot, but his last two elimination games, he's come up huge. And honestly, uh, I 
not to get into the finals preview because that's a whole separate podcast. If they win, it's going to be because of him. So just really impressive stuff by CP3, especially in his 16th season. And I, that's that's been said by every NBA pundit. All of NBA Twitter said that. But just just to shout him out on the numbers, guys. Chris Paul, very impressive player. Dare I say top three point guard of all time? I was about to say thank you, Captain Obvious, <laughs> until the last statement. <laughs> He's great, no doubt. Definitely. I mean, the only thing he was missing is playoff experience. He has the stats, um, all-star appearances. No MVP, but he's been – he's never been a stat guy, which is kind of what the MVP award has become these days. Um, so for him to get to the finals with a team that, you know, aside from the bubble was the worst team invited to the bubble from a record standpoint, for him to take that with only the addition of Jay Crowder – uh, the Miami Heat legend, um, for him to go from that to beating every team and what was left of them in front of him uh, to go to the finals and to be favored as a little tidbit against the Bucks is is very impressive and it speaks to everything that he's about. You know, he's everywhere he goes, they just get immediately better. Yeah, and I I'm just I'm happy for the sons in that organization. The the jokes for them are awesome too. Their bench is full of mean players. Um, no disrespect to them. They're just awesome. They would all they would all bust my ass. Real disrespectful. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and what you, you got a bench of campaign Frank Kaminsky, Javon Carter, Langston Galloway, Tory Craig. I know at the deadline, everyone said, What are the Suns doing? They only got Tory Craig, they didn't make this big move for like PJ Tucker or even win the buyout market with Blake Griffin or Andre Drummond. Or all they got was Craig, who's well come up big in the playoffs. and they just kind of roll they rolled with what they had and it's been really good i mean mikhail bridges is well i I don't know how they're going to pay all these guys but what i was going to say is bridges ayton are both going to get a ton of money once they're off their rookie contracts jake jay crowder has been great cam johnson's like a very good six man and I just can't credit the front office enough of the Suns. And I just – we were talking too much about the Clippers. We need to say some stuff about the Suns because just what they've done is so impressive. They're, I don't even think they're pressing the salary cap either. They're just a well-built team. Yeah. Which, I mean, you weren't saying that like two years ago. It's the Chris Paul effect. So, I mean, 60-1 to one to start the year. To win, and to your bench point, Tory Craig is the first player since I think Anderson Verjao that will at least have the opportunity to get a ring, no matter what happens in the finals, because he was acquired from the Bucks. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Good point. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, the Suns, it's going to be funny. You mentioned it. Like, is Robert Sarver going to pay all those guys? He has a history of being pretty cheap. So I don't know. But obviously, the credit goes to them. They were. Um, game six was really eye opening for everyone that was on the Clippers, our, our better bandwagon, because they just took it to them for um, two straight quarters in the second half, and it wasn't even a contest by the end. Kevin, do you have any more thoughts on this before we move on to the East? Um, not really. I mean, Phoenix is going to get a lot of – they're going to hear a lot from some NBA fans about how they didn't beat a fully healthy team. And I know Preston's been furious at me for pointing that out, but it is it's, – it's a fact. They beat the teams in front of them, but none of them were fully healthy. But at the end of the day, if it goes up in the banner, it's not going to say beat an unhealthy Lakers, beat an unhealthy Nuggets, beat an unhealthy Clippers. It's going to say finals champion, Western Conference champion. And, I mean, that's what they all want. So was the path in front of them the toughest? I don't think anyone's going to argue it was. But they beat the teams they had to, and I just hope that they don't become – the Miami Heat of last year who beat teams in front of them that weren't very good and showed that they didn't belong in the finals. Wow. <laughs> wow. What a pardon shot. Um, all right. Well, on that I had note, to give it to him. On, on, on that note, we're going to switch it over to the Eastern Conference. Uh, a team that, that beat the Miami Heat in the first round is now in the NBA Finals. Um, they Does that beat, make the Miami Heat the second best team in the conference? What's up? Does that make the Miami Heat the second best team in the conference since they well, lost? Well, no, because not every other team got swept. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the Miami Heat were one of two teams get swept, and the other team was the Nuggets who got swept in the second round. Point being, let's let's move on to more important subjects, um, and the Miami Heat's pain not being one of them. Um, so the Bucks beat the Hawks in six games. Ian has talked about this, so I'll, I'll kind of steal this point from him. But the Bucks finished off the Hawks in six games, yet the Suns get three more days of rest because the series were staggered in that weird way. Um, by the NBA. The finals start on Tuesday, so the Bucks are still going to get rest, but Giannis got hurt in game four. Really scary injury. Luckily, not as serious as we thought. Um, the Bucks able to finish it off in games five and six without him. His status is kind of questionable for the finals, but we'll cover that in our preview. Um, I thought Middleton and Brooke Lopez really stepped up in game five and then in game six. Drew Holiday, also really good. He deserves a ton of credit. And honestly, for a team that looked really shaky at the beginning in the Bucks, like in game one, I don't know how they lost. In, in, game, in game four, the Hawks win without Trey Young. They really put their stamp on five and six and showed that they were the better team in this series. 
definitely. But I also think that you're being a little bit too kind to them because if one of the zebras, as I affectionately call them, foot wasn't like inexplicably under Trey Young's ankle, causing him to be limited down the stretch of game three, that was a winnable game for the Hawks, and then miss games five and six, we could be having a completely different conversation right now. The, I mean, the Hawks, it could be seven, it could be over, and the Hawks could be in the finals. Um, but his is the only injury in the postseason where it's not like a game action. It's just a ref being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, I'm, I'm too young to remember another, like, ref injuring a player in such a big game. I don't even know if it's ever happened. Um, so it's, it's sad that injuries – have kind of dictated the outcome of like basically every series. Um, I mean, you can only play who's in front of you, but you know, Atlanta, who is so Trey centric, especially after Bog, uh, Bogdanovich is like, he's not injured, injured, but he's always questionable in the game reports because of his knee. To have your guard who had 48 and 11 in game one um, be hurt in such an inexplicable way. Um, at the hands of a ref or at the feet of a ref is, is a tough break for Atlanta and a ginormous break for the, for the Bucks in the first season of Giannis's or in the first season post Giannis extension. Kevin, I'll let you get a chance to talk before I respond to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to give my overall thoughts on the series. Um, it was definitely the less entertaining of the two conference finals. And I think a lot of that came down to the fact that injuries during the series really put a hamper on it. I mean, we didn't really get to see what Kawhi would look like with the Clippers. So we didn't know entirely what we were missing in the series, but I mean, game one was incredibly entertaining. Trey young going off, showing up the crowd, exactly what we're used to from him by now series was a huge blow to Atlanta but also to everyone watching because it just made the series less entertaining uh Giannis misses game five and six because of an injury um that also just makes the series less entertaining he's probably the best player left in the playoffs coming into the series and at this point so missing him is always going to be a huge blow he might not be the most entertaining of players with his style but I mean, he's just an absolute beast, and I think he's pretty fun to watch. But I, I think the key was, uh, as Preston mentioned, or as Ian mentioned, that Bogdanovich wasn't healthy. Uh, Trey got injured, and Kevin Herter was ice cold. So when none of your guards can really get going in the last two games, you have a huge issue on your hands. And I think that's just kind of where they fell. Um for them, their windows kind of like just opened. I don't, anyone, nobody thought they were making it to the conference finals. So like, it's a, it's a huge season for them, but the issue is this could have been their best shot. Uh, a lot of people trying to draw parallels to the thunder when they made the finals in 2012 with a young core, and then they never got back. Um, I don't think that's a good comparison because I don't think they're anywhere near as skilled as the thunder were. And that also wasn't the Thunder's best chance to win a title. They had a better one later. But Atlanta, with the right building, could get back here easily 
like Trey Young is a centerpiece to build around that very few teams have, and they've got good players around him, but they just have to hope that they didn't just miss their best chance because of, as Ian mentioned, a ref that caused an injury that without it, maybe they go ahead, go ahead and make the finals. Yeah. And, and honestly, it, it's terrible luck for the Hawks with Trey Young stepping on the ref's foot. But then again, they won game four and then they kind of, I, I wouldn't say it's an even playing field, but Giannis got hurt in game four. So theoretically, both stars are out, and then it's just a battle of your benches. And you, you mentioned that Bogdanovich had gotten hurt, and Trey is a huge part to that Hawks offense. Like, the, the Bucks can basically run without without Giannis if they need to. The Hawks without Trey, it's, it's tougher. But they had a chance, game five, game six, and the Bucks basically just took it over. I, I mean – it's so unfortunate that that Trey Young he he gets hurt that way. Like you want to, like if you don't want to see injuries in general, but you know it, you feel a little bit more at ease if it's happening in the game rather than something like off the floor. It, it's it, it's very sad, and it's just kind of define the playoffs so far unfortunately so but credit to the bucks they um I, I think their conference finals was last series and um they were able to finish this one off and get it done and finally make the finals yeah i have a i don't know if it's a theory it's not mine either i stole it from sir charles watching the um inside the nba post game but I think Giannis getting hurt in a weird way, obviously in hindsight that he avoided serious injury, is is going to be beneficial for the Bucks and not to get too ahead of ourselves, but in their quest to beat Phoenix. Because the way Middleton and Holiday were forced to step up and be aggressive and, you know, those guys down the stretch are just going to be um, they're going to be able to create their shots more easily than Giannis because they can score from three levels, whereas Giannis can only score from one. So them being forced to do that in really two games that – or game five for sure could have been viewed as an elimination game for them if they had lost it because then you're going back to Atlanta down 3-2 without your best player, and Trey was already decently close to playing game five. So for them to step up – in five and six in that way and propel the Bucks into the finals without Giannis is a huge confidence boost for them, I would imagine. And it at least opens their eyes to the fact that they don't have to be so Giannis dependent, giving the ball to him on the blocks down the stretch and hoping he can make a jump hook or a spin move for a layup. Instead, they can kind of use him as the screener, which they're already doing to some extent, but they can use him as the screener and get Middleton and Holiday open mid-range and, and three-point jumpers and allow them their offense to be more fluid against the team. And they're going to need it against the Suns because the Suns, I think we all are in agreement, are, are better than at least whatever iteration the Hawks was was there in game five and six. I, I, th I thought not only what Middleton, but Brooke Lopez, just the way he stepped up, not even game five, 
I mean, that was a big game. What did he drop? Like 33, 30, 33. Just that was insane. I. I don't think anyone expected that. Um, in that game, he gets 33, Drew Holiday gets 25, and Middleton gets 26. So definitely stepped up. Even Bobby Portis got 22. Only 12 points from their bench. <laughs> Just absolutely carried by the starters. Well, and continue. You, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, Brooke Lopez – had a true shooting percentage in that series of seven, um, 72.5%, which is absolutely incredible. So just really good offensively. Uh, kind of flashback to Nets Brook Lopez. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I like that. Ian, that take was from Charles Barkley after the game. Um, I did. I did like that. I, I think, Giannis getting hurt is a, is like a blessing in disguise for the hawk for the Bucks. I mean, but they need him to come back if they want to beat the Suns. I think, and that's all I'll say on the finals. But, um, I, I think allowing Middleton and Holiday and Lopez to step up was really good and you know if they didn't they wouldn't be here so props to them Kevin I kind of disagree with parts I don't think it's a blessing in disguise to lose Giannis because I think that a lot of what Sir Charles said was correct especially I took I'm pretty sure it was him talking to Drew Holiday after game five saying I think he basically straight up asked him why are you not more aggressive more of the time and the reason is because Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the best basketball players on the planet. And so he's the most aggressive one. And Drew Holiday is an elite player, not necessarily an elite scorer, but a top player. But aggressive isn't necessarily his nature because he's defaulting to Giannis. The issue that then the issue then becomes. Chris Middleton in games five and six was significantly better than he was in the first four. And that could be an issue because you look at it and it might be because he needs to be taking the shots he's taking. Then he needs to be the guy, the number one in that offense to be shooting as well as he is. And if that's the case, then they have an issue because he needs to be the number two to Giannis if they're going to win the title. But Drew Holiday has been this good all playoffs. Drew Holiday was more aggressive, but he had 25 points. I think he had 11 assists. He's been getting double-digit assists a lot all season, or all playoffs. Drew Holiday has been exactly what they traded, however many picks that we all thought was an overpay to acquire to get them to this point. He played incredible defense on Trey. He runs pretty much their whole offense, especially when Giannis is out. Um, I mean, he vindicated their front office and the way that Budenholzer coached the series seems like he vindicated himself there too. So a lot of people in the Bucks seem to have saved their jobs or improved their job security in the series. But going into next series, I agree with Preston. They're not winning the finals if they don't have Giannis. But the 
you can't look at a guy like a Middleton or a Drew Holiday or even Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis for that matter. And if their stats drop off in the finals, you can't say that they need to go back to not having Giannis because it's going to happen. You need to fit in the fact that Giannis is your best player and other people are going to take a back seat. But you have more options now. If Giannis isn't going, Bobby Portis is going to be playing well. Brooke Lopez can go in the post and get you a couple of points. So they increased their options, but I don't think they necessarily increased how good of a team they are because it's a different situation than they'll usually be playing in. Yeah. I mean, every, every time any star gets hurt and the team has mild success, there's always talk about how they're like when Durant got hurt, warriors are better without him. There was, um, People were campaigning for campaign to get a ton more minutes because Chris Paul was bad in the first couple games after, you know, he had COVID, which has slowed players down. And then even the honest one, now the Bucks are 2-0 without him. And or they were 2-0 without him against the Hawks and 2-2 two and two with him. Um, means absolutely nothing. Obviously, the number's going to go down because Giannis is your most impactful defender and most efficient offensive player. So... He should get the most shots and everyone else's numbers should suffer because it makes them a better team. So completely agree. And looking forward to the Bucks, since we did this with the Hawks, um, they basically have, they have their top four under contract at least until 2022, 2023. Uh, Giannis has a player option for 2025, 2026. Um, the only key free agents, well, Bobby Portis is going to opt out. He has a player option. But they have him, Bryn Forbes, and P.J. Tucker. Everyone else is retained, and they just made it to the finals. So the outlook for the Bucks, even though they barely squeaked by the Nets, and the Nets are going to come back with a vengeance, to have your entire – core basically come back um and then you're going to be coming off of at least a finals appearance if not a championship people are going to want to come to your team because you're contending there you go like that that's the long-term outlook for the milwaukee bucks looks promising yeah ignore that don't look forward uh, for all they know, this is their best chance to win a title because the East is going to be back stronger next year. That's true. Maybe the Sixers go out and fix their issues. The Nets go out and get healthy. It's not going to be – it's going to be tough. This is their window. The Suns team is a very good team. It's not a juggernaut. They're not playing the 2017 Golden State Warriors. This is the this is the window right here. That's how you got to look at it. If Giannis plays every single game in this series, they need to win the series. That's how they got to be looking at it. It's best player versus best team. I mean, I think the Suns have the more complete team, but we've seen it many times throughout NBA history where the best player just takes over the game and, and wins it. And in a larger sense, we've mentioned injuries, we've mentioned all this, and I think the title window being the best it's ever going to be for these two teams right now, especially Phoenix, um, but Milwaukee too is, is a great point. And it'll be interesting to see, not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but how um, these two teams fare next year and if they can validate it um, 
validate this performance in the eyes of fans because of what has been an interesting playoffs to say the least. So those are my final thoughts for, for that. And uh, I think they could, hopefully not the Suns because I'm a Warriors fan. But <laughs> I think both teams have a good chance of, of being right near the top next year. I'd love to see Chris Paul get a ring as much as the next guy. But after everything that was said about how Giannis couldn't win a title in Milwaukee, had to leave. Oh, when he stayed and signed for five years, he's not winning a title for the, for the next five years. Win this for every small market team out there. And honestly, I don't think you go wrong with whoever wins. And we'll talk about it more in our finals preview podcast but i feel like that's a good stopping point for us right now um and honestly tuesday is gonna be a great finals um a lot of casual fans are going to not tune in um two smaller market teams two teams that haven't really done much in the last (laughs) couple decades which is insane but um, two very good teams, nonetheless, and um, had some really entertaining conference final series with um, some really key moments, some injuries, some back and forth, just all around um, very good NBA playoffs so far. But with that being said, thank you for listening to this episode of the Numbers Guys podcast. As always, I'm Preston Klaus. I'm joined by Kevin Ivers and Ian Archer, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Thank you so much.